Please take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, it's the last verse we are in chapter 2. Then we start chapter 3 next time we are in uh, Timothy. Uh, and Paul has been talking about God-given roles that he created uh, with not only creation but also uh, to be in the church. And he's addressed women to a degree and then he's addressed men uh, briefly and then he's gone back to women and, and the passage that relates to men also applies to women. And then in 1 Timothy 3, for the first several verses, he addresses men again. It's kind of going back and forth there, which I, I appreciate. Uh, but we're at verse 15. And it says, and this, by the way, uh, <laughs> is one of the most controversial and disputed verses in all the Bible. Uh, and there's, you know, I've read at least 15 different views on this verse as to what it means. I'm, in fact, uh, when Peter said that Paul has written some things that are hard to understand, he may have had this text in mind. But I'm hoping and praying uh, because it's revelation. It's something that God wants to reveal to us. So God's not trying to hide something from us. But even some of the early church, they disagreed as to meaning of this verse. So it's kind of interesting. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we read, But women will be preserved, or if you have the NIV or the NLT, saved, the Greek word is connected to sozo, uh, saved, preserved, through the bearing of children. So women will be saved or preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, this verse... Uh, I taught on it before. Uh, that, that would make a lot of sense. I've been pastoring for a long time, over 30 years. But I've taught on this verse before. But this verse became such a... I've always said, you've heard me say through the years, some of the verses, some of the texts in the Bible that are the most difficult at times become the most beautiful. And it, it's really remarkable. And I've given you examples as i preached through the years. And this is another one. And I remember uh, looking at this verse in light of something else I was studying. And I remember not appreciating, or I should say not accepting the different views that I'd heard on this verse. Not that I'd study every view on the verse, but I never had total peace in the views that I had been aware of. But I was in another part of Timothy. And when I was in another part of Timothy, I noticed a word construction that Paul used later on in Timothy that put my spiritual antennae up. I was like, ooh, that's what Paul's talking about back there. Because Paul has this wonderful habit of bringing up an issue, stating something, but then expanding on it later and giving you more insight. But if you don't understand that he's expanding on something that he already brought up, you won't fully appreciate or maybe even understand what had been brought up earlier. Are you with me? So I was in, a, and I don't want to give it all away here, but... Uh, and I decided to not, not just take this at the tail end of our last study because it's a complicated verse as far as people's understanding. And I didn't always throw it in the end and give a few reviews and just say goodnight. I want to, and not only that, it's something we can really appreciate. Something you can, when you understand what he's saying here, you can understand what it means in regard to spiritual warfare, what it regards to your own healing and your own life as to who you are as a person in the Lord, uh, your role. We can appreciate each other's roles more. It's such a powerful verse. And this verse, it just totally is counterculture. We're the true counterculture, amen? 
where the fish that, you know, swim upstream when all the dead fish are floating downstream as we're alive in Christ, amen? And we, we live in a culture of death where everything is backwards and turns inside out and upside down. And we have to stay close to the Lord right now, amen? So I'm going to encourage you all to just really uh, bear with me. I'm going to try to go a little slower than normal because there's a lot of thinking you're going to have to do, but you're going to be able to do it. Uh, I'm going to mention some of the different views, but I'm not going to counter every view because that would take two or three studies at least. And I'm going to just posit the different views, and then I'm going to show you, I'll, I'll probably comment a little bit why I might disagree, or I think this view or that view doesn't really make sense, but I want to show you the view that I think makes a whole lot of sense, uh, which is kind of interesting, because a lot of the view I'm going to share with you happens now after, and in the last so many years, when, since I trod on this first, it's like there's been a, a shift or at least I should say among conservative evangelical Christians share the view that I have, many of them, if not most. It's probably, the more, it's probably the more accepted view among scholarship right now. And I was tripping out on that as I was studying more. I'm like, wow, that's pretty exciting actually because sometimes scholarship doesn't always get it right, right? But uh, this is a very, very interesting verse. And uh, we believe as Christians, as evangelical, genuine but, you know, blood-bought Bible-believing Christians that the Bible clearly teaches what we call complementarianism. That is, that there are distinct roles that male and female have. That in Christ, there's, there's no distinction in regard to our a value before God. We're all human, created in God's image, amen, just given different roles. But there is a distinction in roles that God has given us, and he made us male and female for, a very specific re- for specific reasons, plural. And we need to appreciate that, especially right now, because there is a spiritual assault from Satan who seeks to destroy uh, the, the idea of gender, uh, and two genders, XX and XY chromosome, and, and, uh, and it's unscientific and it's unbiblical. Amen? You know? I mean, right now, today, there's a big dispute as to, you know, what is a woman? You know? And was it a Supreme Court justice that was asked that question? And she couldn't even answer the question. She was, like, silent because she didn't want to get in trouble with, you know, the feminists and, you know, a lot of libs because she probably knows what a woman is deep down, you know? God knows what she thinks, but I know what God says, amen? And he made us male and female. Humanity is made of male and female, made in God's image, amen? And we're to complement one another. I mean, not to get too graphic, but the physical male body and the physical female body fit together like puzzle pieces, and they bring forth life, amen? Others don't so much fit together like that, and they bring forth often disease and death, so uh, we compliment one another. Now, listen to this verse again. But women will be saved or preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. What in the world is he saying there? We know that Paul teaches that salvation is by grace through faith. Amen? You're saved by grace through faith. You know, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. So Paul is definitely not talking about earning your salvation here. Let's get that, you know, let's state that fact right away. We're saved by grace through faith, uh, through the blood of Christ and what he did on the cross, amen? But what is Paul saying here? And when you get it, 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 after I understood what he was saying here, it became such one of the most precious verses in First and Second Timothy uh, for me, and it actually became one of the most precious verses when it came to understanding our roles and also understanding spiritual warfare as to why Satan rages against women and wants to distort their roles and wants to destroy families. 
and the order that God has divinely instituted. So here's, uh, here's a dozen or so, maybe 10, 10 different views I, I wrote down. Uh, ben Witherington, he's a Wesleyan uh, scholar, and I actually respect a lot of things that, that Ben uh, says in his commentaries and stuff. He's got a lot of good stuff. Don't, we don't always all agree, right? But he believes that it's referring to the bearing of the Christ child, that women are, be, are saved through childbearing, and that it's just kind of this cryptic way of saying through Christ, you know, through, through Christ's, you know, death, burial, and resurrection, but him being born, which is, he admits, is not an, he admits it's not an obvious interpretation, and it would be, it's kind of interesting that it would mention women because men and women are saved through Christ, amen? And why even say it in such a strange way that's, you know, not even obvious? So uh, that's kind of an awkward, uh, you know, some people hold that view. Augustine, Augustine, uh, some like to call him Augustine. And by the way, the guys I'm mentioning here, I'm not, I'm not giving an endorsement for the people I'm quoting. On, 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 like, I don't I encourage you to follow Augustine at all. You know, he's a Roman Catholic uh, theologian who instituted a lot of unbiblical things, but he was in the fourth century and fifth century, and he said that children, that the, he taught that there were the children there, that they'll be saved through the childbearing, that children actually is symbolic of their good works. So it's not literally their children, but women who have good works that we saved through their good works. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he got allegorical at times, especially when it came to prophecy and even creation, by the way. Uh, and here he's doing it again. Uh, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. Norman Geisler, who's a fine exegete at times, really good apologist. Uh, he said his view is that they'll be saved, women will be saved from insignificance, from insignificance by virtue of her role as a wife or a mother. Okay? So women will be saved not salvation-wise, it's not talking about the same, but just from being insignificant, which I have a hard time with that because my Bible tells me that, and Paul says if you have the gift of singleness as a woman, that it's even better than if you are married, you know? Paul says that all men were like, I, he's single, amen? And he wants women and men to be single if they have that gift. He says that not everybody has that gift. So uh, was Paul or are single men and women insignificant? No. So I don't buy that view. Craig Keener, who's a really good commentator as well, says that they'll survive physical death. So women, when they have a baby, when it says they'll be saved or preserved through childbearing, it means that they won't die when they're having a baby because some women die. Uh, that view doesn't make a lot of sense either because all kinds of wicked women, most of them, live through their childbirth all the time, right? And are we to say all, all, all godly women, no godly woman has ever died having childbirth? That'd be hard to say. Uh, a couple other early, uh, uh, Jerome and uh, Christostom in his homilies on Timothy taught that they'll be saved through childbearing, meaning the mom will be saved through the faithfulness of her kids. If she has kids and brings them up in a godly way and they live godly lives, and they're faithful to Christ, then she'll be saved in the end. The Bible doesn't teach that your salvation depends on how holy somebody else lives. Amen? So I have a hard time with that one as well. Another view is that women will be saved from the harm that could come onto them to the culture if they have a family. That seems weak as well. 
Uh, another view is it's an evidence of salvation view. That is, she proves her salvation by having children. Well, I don't think that squares with the text either. What I'm going to do, and the reason I can look at these and, and I might too easily dismiss some of them, but because I think the one that is the correct interpretation is so clear once you look at it, all these fall by the wayside quite easily. Uh, another viewpoint is that her soul will be saved. That if she has a baby, then she'll be saved before God and her soul will be saved before God and she'll be right with God and be able to go to heaven. That's very, very unbiblical. Uh, I don't know of any major scholars that hold that. I know a group in Morocco of professing Christians hold that view because uh, when I was in Ireland, invited to speak there, uh, the pastor gave me a tour and there were some Moroccan believers there and he was telling me they believe that you actually have to have a child to be saved. And that was their viewpoint. That's the first time I'd heard that people actually took it that, that, uh, that way. Uh, another view is that she will be saved even though she must suffer childbirth. Okay, well, not every woman has to suffer childbirth. Uh, and I'm going to give you two views that, the last two views I'm going to share with you, which I believe are actually correct. I actually, in my view, is that actually two views that come together as one. Uh, that she'll be saved in the context of final salvation. That, but not just in the context of saved finally, in final salvation, but that she'll be saved or kept safe from Satan, who would cause her, could cause the woman to fall into temptation and fall away from Christ, thus not having salvation in the end. See, we're saved by Christ through what he did on the cross, amen? We're saved by grace through what? Faith. We do have to trust Christ, amen? The just shall live by faith, but if he draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. So we must continue in the faith. Paul said that we'll be presented blameless before Christ in Colossians 1 if we are not moved away from the faith, if we continue in the faith and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So my conviction is, is that, and I'm going to show you the evidence for this view, is that, well, these two different views, but they complement each other. And I believe Paul is speaking to both issues here. One is, is that the word sozo there translated saved or preserved, has to do with her final salvation. And that if she, by having children, God will use that as a means in her life as she's training children up in the Lord and living for the Lord and focused on her role as a mother, she's far more likely to what? Not succumb to Satan's temptations to fall into the social ills and the clubbing and the partying and the gossiping and all the wickedness of the world. Are you with me? And thereby, she's saved from Satan's deceptions for final salvation, which becomes evidentiary to a degree or becomes a fruit of her trust in Christ. Because notice it doesn't say, if she has babies, she'll be saved, period, right? It says, if she what? If she, right after that, be 15, 215b, she'll be saved through childbearing if she what? Continues in the faith, right? And then her Christian walk, as it comes on to mention a few other things. Now, it's interesting, 
Because the translations aren't always so helpful either. Because the NIV and NLT have women will be saved through childbearing. But the New New Living Translation in the footnote has this, or will be saved by accepting their role as mothers, or will be saved by the birth of the child. The contemporary English translation or version has it, but women will be saved by having children. And it adds a footnote, or saved by being good mothers. <laughs> the ESV has, uh, yes, she will be saved through childbirth if they continue the faith, etc. NASB, we've read, she'll be preserved uh, through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, we have to work, okay? I had a brother, an elder here, Brother Jay Wilson, love that brother. His wife, Suksha, awesome. Uh, they're in Palm Springs. They visit us once in a while. And he said, after he left Blessed Hope, he said, man, it became a lot easier because he just drive down the road to hear a guy get a verse or two. He goes, I don't have to think. Listen to these messages. Guys use a verse or two. When you're under your teaching, I got to think. And he said, but after time, his walk began to go downhill to a degree. And he said, then I started sticking your tapes in and started challenging myself. And he goes, man, my walk just took off again. Not that you need me, but we need serious Bible teaching, amen? And it's not enough to just hear a verse or two and have a pastor just talk about it, you know, and and give a bunch of stories and illustrations and try to make you laugh and everything else. And then you leave none the wiser in Christ or barely wiser. We want to be challenged. We want to, this is a Bible study, amen? We don't call it Bible get your little fix and feel better about yourself. It's a Bible study. But once you study it, you reap the benefits of getting into God's word, amen? So now as we put ourselves and we study, you're going to be able to leave here saying, ooh, that makes a lot of sense, hopefully, you know? So uh, Paul, and this is important, understand this, there's a difference between initial salvation, which everybody here who's trusting Jesus has already been saved, amen? These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. You know what? If you have faith in Jesus, you know that you have eternal life. You were already saved. Amen? But we, always, we talked recently that the Bible also talks about not only just being saved, when it uses the word sozo or saved, usually it's, it's more often in the present tense and future tense than it is in the past tense. And so much of the church doesn't even know that. It's so weird. So everyone wants to talk about, oh, I got saved. Well, most of the church doesn't talk about final salvation. Paul is here pointing in the direction of our final salvation when we're resurrected, when we're glorified. We no longer have these futile bodies that are dying, amen, away. But when, we're, when, we, when we get our new bodies and we hear from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, our final salvation, future salvation, eschatological, eschatology is from the Greek word eschatos, which means end, eschatos. You ever heard that fancy word eschatology? It's referring to the eschaton, which is the end. Eschatology is a study of end times. Well, we talk about our eschatological or final salvation. That's what we're looking forward to. We're not just bumps on a log, right? We got a whole thing going on right now. It's really heavy. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. So let's look in the pat- same book. And we'll look in the book, in the books, First and Second Timothy, pastoral epistles. These are called the pastoral epistles because Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor there at the church at Ephesus. And look what he talks about over and over again. His emphasis is our final salvation. 
Not just our past salvation, but he's emphasizing our final salvation. Now look what he says in verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure what? Salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Wow. Paul is telling Timothy to persevere in godly living and in sound doctrine. And in so doing, he will what? He will ensure salvation not only for himself and for those who hear, those who pastors over. So as a pastor, God wants to use him as an agent to ensure the salvation, not only his own salvation, by continuing in the faith. And by the way, continuing in godly behavior and continuing in sound doctrine are evidences of continuing to trust Jesus. Amen. You're not saved by those things. But those are evidences that continue to trust Jesus. And by the way, those fruits and those evidences, God uses those as means to strengthen you in your faith so you continue in your salvation. But notice God is going to use Paul, is using Paul, and going to use Timothy as an agent, indirect agent, through God's power, who's the direct agent by the Holy Spirit and his word, to ensure their salvation. So what kind of salvation do you think he's talking about there? Past salvation? Future salvation, okay? To ensure their salvation. In the Greek, it's in the future tense, okay? It's in the future tense. Can you see that, Jeff, in your interlinear? Does it give you a tense there? Does, does it give you a tense in your, you have your interlinear open? Huh? No, I thought you might have your interlinear open. <laughs> okay, no, no, not tonight. Okay, sometimes you do, as I found out, which is great. Uh, he actually corrected me one time. <laughs> I was like, oh, I said the wrong Greek word, but I'm going to mention that on Sunday because it fits into my study really good. Uh, now, it's interesting. You are an indirect agent by the Lord to bring people. You don't save them, but God uses you to bring the message that saves them. Amen? When you witness to people, God uses you to bring the saving message to people. Peter says in the book of Acts, save yourselves from this evil and corrupt gener uh, generation. Well, they don't literally save themselves, but they throw themselves on the mercy of Christ. And he saves them, amen? But they must do that. So we're seeing that God uses means, like sound teaching from Paul to Timothy and Timothy to adherence and Timothy's example to help ensure as a sanctifying element in their lives, agent, I should say, to bring them to final salvation. God uses various means, amen? Go to... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. This is interesting. Look what Paul says, and I want you to, you, you to identify it for me. Is he talking about past salvation here or future salvation here? Paul says in verse 10, For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen. Okay? Now it's interesting, when the Bible uses the term chosen, it's not talking about people that are prospectively chosen. It's talking about those who are chosen in, in the now that Paul's addressing, the elect, those who are, belong to Christ, who are in Christ, who is the chosen one. Verse 10, for the reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are what? For this reason I endure all things. Why, Paul? For the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may what? Obtain what? The salvation which is in Christ Jesus with each, its eternal glory. It's talking about future salvation. Again, then he warns. This is why, what he warns the elect, the chosen. This is what he says. It's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we also will live with him. 
If we endure, there is perseverance, we also reign with him. If we what? Deny him, he also will deny us. Amen? Because if we deny him and become faithless, turn from the faith, we're in trouble. Because he goes on to say in verse 13, if we are faithless, so we, we, become, we deny him and we become faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. If we deny him, he's going to deny us. Why? Because if we become faithless and we're denying him, he's going to be faithful to who he is because he can't deny himself. He has to remain true to his word. Amen. And Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before men, I'll deny you before my father. Amen. So if we deny him and become faithless, he can't deny himself. He has to remain faithful to who he is. And this is a warning, and Paul's giving this in the context of enduring all things for the sake of the chosen, right? So they may obtain what? Future salvation. Are you with me? That's why my preaching sometimes seems maybe a little different to a lot of people because I'm constantly warning people about staying on the path, about not, not getting off the narrow path, not going back to the broad road that leads to destruction. It's not different than the New Testament, but because there's no emphasis in much of the church today on final salvation, you don't hear the warnings the way you would read them from Scripture. Because everything, not, not, praise God, not everywhere, praise God, there's pastors that preach the word strong still, but it's becoming more and more rare in these times. Because Paul said in the last times, you know, he said that people would want their ears tickled and they turn their ears away from the truth and they try to find many teachers who will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. That's in the same, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And that's a sad thing. We have to, we, we want to love the truth, amen, and want the truth and get stretched and encouraged and strengthened in God's word, amen. Go to 2 Timothy 4.18. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> that won't, you won't get there. Oh, yeah, you will. I won't get there. I'm in 1 Timothy. I'm like, what in the world? 2 Timothy 4.18. Now, it's interesting. He says in verse 18, the Lord will what? Rescue me. What's the Greek word rescue? It's sozo, save, okay? He will save me from every evil deed, okay? In fact, the literal standard version says the Lord will free me from every evil work and save me to his heavenly kingdom. I'm sorry. So the, re- the word sozo is not from rescue, but it's the word, second word. Look at verse 18. So the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely, that's sozo, and will save me to his heavenly kingdom. That's future tense, by the way. Save me. Okay? Safely in the NASB. His heavenly kingdom. He's talking about the future. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. In fact, Young's literal translation says, and the Lord will, shall free me from every evil work and shall save me. Okay, sozo again. So what's he talking about? Past salvation or future? Future salvation. Amen. So there's this emphasis in the pastoral epistles. And I think the reason, and there's an emphasis in other books as well in the New Testament, but there's such an emphasis in the pastoral epistles because Paul has a pastoral heart toward Timothy that he's communicating through Timothy as a pastor to the, the church at Ephesus, thereby to all us. And a pastor's heart who's a shepherd is to make sure he brings his flock home to the heavenly shores. Amen? And that's why there's this emphasis on final salvation that ought to be preached more uh, in my estimation. Now, it's also important that we understand this. 
that, and I think uh, the first reason I gave you to really consider uh, was that Paul is talking about uh, future salvation over and over again in First and Second Timothy. So we look at what does this mean? First Timothy two fifteen, that women will be saved through childbearing. The word "saved" in the Greek in First Timothy two fifteen in that difficult verse is in the future tense. Are you with me? And by the way, the word sozo, if you do a word study on the word sozo, the Greek word, which is the very the beginning of the word that we're looking at when it says save through childbirth in 1 Timothy 2.15 is from sozo. If you do a word study on that, you'll see it more often than not, it means healed. But if you, you, know, but if you look at it in the, in the way Paul uses sozo, he almost always uses it in relative to salvation, Okay. So there's no reason to depart from that meaning unless there's a good reason to. But we're seeing that Paul's emphasis is over and over again, not just in 1 Timothy 2.15, but future salvation. Okay? So I, I don't want to just run through this super quick and have you be like, whoa, I, I was there and I was gone. I was there and I was gone. I want you to be able to say, you know what? I can understand what this verse is actually saying. The second thing I want to mention to you is Paul is not only concerned that women... Uh, are involved in childbearing, unless he hasn't called them to that, not every woman's called to that, but in general, not only for their future salvation, but so they don't fall away. And God uses children and family to keep you on the narrow road, fulfilling your role as a woman in which God had created you. In fact, there's a lot of warnings in the second point that show that God, through the pastoral epistles, Paul is constantly warning about how Satan seeks to cause us to fall, and that God wants to guard us from Satan causing us to fall in one way or another. In fact, you remember 1 Timothy 4.16 I mentioned to you where Paul says to Timothy, watch your life or your behavior and your doctrine, and in so doing, you'll save yourself, future tense, and those who hear you, right? That's, that's at the end of that chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. At the beginning of the chapter is verse 1, where it says, the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And then it talks about bad behavior. It talks about, interestingly enough, they'll command you not to eat certain foods. Sound familiar today? And they'll, they'll, they'll uh, uh, forbid marriage. Ooh, that's interesting. The demons will forbid marriage. Paul's countering that, what's going to happen in the future, which the Gnostics, by the way, Gnostics were false teachers who were already around in the first century when the apostles were, which we call incipient or proto-Gnosticism. It was in germation form. And then in the early church, after the apostles, in the second and third century, it was the main threat to the Christian church. And they taught that the creator was evil and the physical world was evil. Therefore, it was wrong to procreate, many of the Gnostics taught. Some Gnostics said, since everything is evil because the creator is evil, we could just do what we will, just sleep with anybody. That was the libertines. The other extreme was the ascetics. No, don't even have sex at all. Don't bring kids in the world. Don't have children because you don't want to have them in physical bodies. We got to be set free from our own physical bodies. It was a lie. Satan inverted everything. God created us, created everything good. Amen. Satan inverted it. But in 1 Timothy 4, in the last days, it says, the Spirit speaks expressly, latter times, some will depart from the faith, 1 Timothy 4, 1, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, not to eat certain foods like meats, perhaps, 
because animals are made of meat and Yahweh made them. Well, so vegetables, by the way. God made them too. They're not made of meat. We're trying to make vegetables that taste like meat right now. So you can't taste the difference. But man, I just want a pork chop when I hear that or something. You know? But uh, they also teach you how to abstain from marriage. So Paul is countering the teaching that he knows is going to come up that Satan is going to try to subvert the family. Isn't that interesting? Right now, today, as I speak, there's huge movements afoot. Feminist movements, you know. Satanism, Crowleyism. Crowley said that family is what? Do you remember what he said to the family? Public enemy number one. Do you know what he called marriage? An insidious institution. That's what Crowley called marriage, an insidious institution. Uh, that's of a guy that eats poop as a sacrament instead of the commune wafer, by the way. So he, everything's backwards with him. Pretty gross dude. Uh, so anyway, the Lord is concerned that we not fall into Satan's deceptions and end up being deceived. In fact, look at 1 Timothy 4.1. 1 Timothy 4.1. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're just there. Chapter 6, verse 20. The last two verses last two verses of 1 Timothy, the book that we've been studying. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It's actually one at verse right after that. But uh, verse 20 and 21, I should say. Those are the last two verses. O Timothy, verse 20, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments, the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus have what? Gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So he doesn't want Timothy to go away from faith either. And he warns him to avoid this worldly chatter, which some are falsely professing as knowledge. The Greek word right there, gnosis. And it's from the word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is a transliteration from the Greek, the English transliteration, uh, letter-wise, the word's gnosis, is the word we get Gnosticism from, okay? And it's that which is falsely called knowledge. And by the way, he, Paul says that which is falsely called Gnosis. Irenaeus, one of the early church leaders in the second century, perhaps the best apologist of the second century along with Justin Martyr, definitely one of the two, his, sub, his book against the Gnostics who were teaching all these heresies was, was, was you know, called against heresies. And the subtitle was against that which is falsely called gnosis. Like he took it right here from Paul. And they were teaching these weird heresies I've mentioned. So it's interesting in the, in when you think of the background and prophetically, many of, the, many of the commentators will point out in Timothy that Paul was coming against incipient Gnosticism. That the letter to 1 Timothy, some will say, oh, well, maybe it was written later because he's nailing Gnosticism. Well, it's prophetic. The Holy Spirit speaks expressly that later times, right? Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. So there's a spiritual war going on right there in the first century, in the second century. Right now, the same spiritual war is going on. Satan is attacking marriage. Remember the whole Black Lives Matter movement? And we say, amen, black lives absolutely matter, amen. There should be justice for all, amen. But we don't, didn't support the group because the group was Marxist, right? And the group called on their website, and they took it down after probably being up for a couple years or so. They called for the destruction or the end of the nuclear family. They're against the family. 
Well, in the text before us in 1 Timothy 2, there's somebody else who's against the family. And right before Paul says, women we say through childbearing, he talks about how Satan deceived Eve. It's just very interesting to me that when you look at whether it's Crowley or you look at the leaders of Black Lives Matter who are into witchcraft, they get you away from God's plan of the family, right? And then they get you into Satan's kingdom. Are you following what I'm talking about? It's really heavy. It's just very uh, patently obvious when you look at what's going on on a spiritual level around the world. They get you away from God. They get you away from his calling, your role to fulfill as a man or a woman in the Lord. And then you, they want you in Satan's kingdom serving a cult, from a cult, an occult worldview. Now, it's interesting because, by the way, I'll just give you a couple more references. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the very next verses, right after he addresses the women, when he talks about establishing male elders in chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, what does he say? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. And what talks about bringing somebody up as an elder, it says, not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into what? The condemnation incurred by the devil. So Paul is really concerned that we're saved from falling away and that we do things biblically and we walk in the faith. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, it talks about false teachers and, and trying, praying that, you know, hoping that, speaking to them with gentleness, trying to bring correction uh, so that they may come to their senses, verse 26, and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So we're seeing, you guys, is there's a spiritual war through false teachers who want to bring false teaching and get us away from the roles that God has ordained for us. You following? Very, very important to see that's a spiritual war. So the third point, so I've had a couple broad points, and this is another point. Look at the context of 1 Timothy 2. Go back there now to verse 15, because it's critical that we know that women are gifted. Women are especially gifted, far more than men in this regard, with a unique gift of bringing life into the world. Men are part of that process, but God has chosen women to bear that special gift of bringing children into the world. It's repugnant that men are wanting to have sex changes and hoping one day to bear children. That's something God gave for women. Amen? And God's given women a special role to nurture that life. Men are called to help nurture that life as well. Amen? But women... I'm blown away, you know, when I watch my wife with the kids and the grandkids and I watch other women with their children and I see women who bring up, who have older children, whatever age, little children, brand new children with their babies. There's something just so, so beautiful about that. It's just, I, it's one of the most beautiful things I can think of. It's so, and Satan hates that. And Satan wants to twist everything. So Satan told Eve, you could be as God. I mean, you make your own choices, Eve. And she committed spiritual suicide. And that's with women today. Just kill the kid. You're your own God. Don't let it get in the way of your life. And recently, she's in the news last week, comparing children being pregnant to having cancer. Okay? Compare a baby to a cancer. I gave a message a few years ago where I talked about they, point, they act like babies are parasites, tumors. I'm talking about the, the, the feminists, you know, the, many of them, the way they use the language as though it's an enemy, you know. It's like it's a precious gift. But Satan has us so twisted around that we're actually butchering the most innocent among us, which are innocent children. And 
That's a very, very serious thing. But now go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And when you hit chapter 2, verse 15, let's look at it again. And of chapter 2, and of chapter 2, verse 15, but women will be preserved or saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. But the but is a contrast. But, see that very first word? He's contrasting something. What's he contrasting? What happened to Eve? Who wasn't saved. She ended up lost. Well, of course, God, God, God brought her back to himself, though. Amen. Sacrifice an animal for her, clothed her and Adam in the animal skins, which is a picture of Christ, and they could be saved through faith in the coming seed that would come through the woman. But back up to chapter 2, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. It's about the church setting. And some will say quiet means women can't say a word at church. I disagree with that because if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and it talks about women trying to win their unruly husband who's disobedient to the word, it says it can win him without a word. Amen? Does that mean zip, no words at all? No, because it goes on to mention Sarah as a classic example. And was, was Sarah absolutely silent? No. <laughs> she actually said, Abraham, you know, she said, uh, you know, have, 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 you know, Hagar, leave this household. And the Lord said, the Lord said, you're supposed to remain silent. No, he didn't say that. He said, Abraham, hearken unto the voice of your wife. I mean, that's my will, what she said to you. So you have to put all the scripture together. He's just meaning that they shouldn't be arguing and fighting and trying to rule over the husband. That's the context here. Or at the church, uh, trying to usurp the, just like a man shouldn't try to usurp the woman's role in bringing life into the world and nurturing that life. Uh, the women aren't to usurp the man's role in leadership in the church setting. So we read in verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach, verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Well, we've studied that already. That was last time we were in Timothy together. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So it's not a cultural thing. We talked about all that. It's based on God's creative order. He created Adam first, then Eve. And verse 14, that's because Eve is a picture of the church and Adam is a picture of, of Christ. Amen. And, the, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a symmetrical, beautiful picture called the mega musterion in the Greek. And it was not Adam who was deceived. He gives a second reason that women aren't to teach or have authority over men. It wasn't the Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children, saved through childbearing. So it's interesting. He's talking about Eve being deceived by Satan, Right? To, to fall away from the Lord and the grace that had to be given her. But women who what? Through childbearing, we save, women we save through childbearing if they continue in the faith and so forth. So that's a, that's, a, that's a huge reason contextually. Fourth, which I think this is like, this is the zinger that got me. When I wasn't even studying this issue, I was just in Timothy and I was looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, reading 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever parts of the chapter, and it hit me because I looked at a Greek word that I'm like, wow, that's the same Greek word that's in chapter 2, verse 15, and the lights went on. Boom. What lights went on? Okay, look at chapter 2, or chapter 5 now. Chapter 5. Verse 11, so it's the same book. And now remember when I said to you, sometimes the Apostle Paul will bring up an issue, right? And sometimes that issue will be like, what's he talking about there? That's pretty interesting. But then you get more light on it as he expands on that issue later. 
So Paul's going to be expanding on what it means to bear children for women and how it will save them right here in chapter 5. That's why this is the, along with everything I'll said, but then this is the icing on the cake, really, as far as what we're talking about here. Because we go to chapter 5, understand this. They had no welfare in those days. They have Medicare and Social Security and all those things. If you were a widow, you were in dire straits. Especially if you were a widow, I should say, that had no children to take care of you. And Paul tells them in 1 Timothy 5 that a believer should be taking care of his own family and not let it be a burden on the church. But he says, what, he says regarding widows who don't have people to take care of them, what about them? Well, guess what? If the church was doling out money to widows that didn't have anyone to take care of them, the money would be gone overnight practically, right? Everybody just line up from the community. We want the money too. They couldn't do that. So Paul says they have to meet these strict requirements if they're a widow to get on the list of welfare. And he, gives, he says they have to be under 60 years old. They've had to have, they have to do all these wonderful things that show that they're genuine believers if we're going to help them with their groceries and stuff. And in that context... We read in verse 3 of chapter 5, honor widows who are what? Widows indeed. Widows indeed are the ones that meet these special requirements. But then he talks about how younger women that are under 60, that are still virile, that can have babies and what have you, and have a lot of energy still and can still work perhaps or what have you, don't put them on the list. Why? Look at verse 11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard to Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Wait a minute. He was just talking about marrying and bearing children. What's he saying here? Well, he's talking about if they went on a list for church welfare and the church has taken care of them for a number of years, and then I'll say, okay, I'm going to go get married now. Say, no, 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 no. Don't do that because their pledge to be a servant of the Lord and being taken care of by the church uh, is now broken. But therefore, he's saying don't put anybody on the list under 60 because the younger widows will break that pledge. So don't even put them on the list. And he says, thus incurring condemnation, verse 12, because they have set aside their previous pledge. Now look at verse 13. At the same time, they also will what? The younger widows will learn to be idle. These are the very things I'm telling you that bearing children will keep you from often if God's called you to have children, right? At the same time, they also will learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips. By the way, God warns women, not just women, but men too, but in the pastoral epistles against slander. Diabolos, Satan, one of Satan's names is Diabolos, a slander, okay? Satanas is the oppo- means opposer, okay? Diabolos, devil, means slander. He's the accuser of the brethren. And what happens is these women who are not focused on raising children up in the Lord and, and fulfilling their role as mothers and what have you, unless they're given a gift of singleness, right, or prior to marriage, and they're just walking a holy life as a single woman, praise God. But if they're rebelling against what the Lord's called them to, he's called them to motherhood, and they're saying, no, I'm going to do my own thing, man. I want to go house to house. I want to see what, what Tammy's doing. I want to talk about Tammy to Shirley and talk about Shirley to Tammy. And I want to do all this different stuff. And I want to go bar hopping and get drunk and then go to church and then, you know, or whatever. But also gossips. And what? Busy bodies. Busy bodies. Talking about things not proper to mention. Wow. Well, Paul's concerned about the younger widows. Are you with me? That they could just go haywire and be used by Satan. 
and come under Satan's power. So what does he want them to do? How, now this is very important that you understand this because this is a clincher. How does Paul going to save them from these social ills? What wisdom he's going to offer these widows, these younger widows? Woman's 28 years old. She lost her husband. She's got a lot of energy. She can work and everything else, but she just wants the church to take care of her. She wants to sit around TV, eat much TV, eat bonbons while the church takes care of her. Well, no TV back in those days. I don't think they had bonbons either because they didn't have freezers. But what does Paul want them to do? Look at verse 14. Therefore, I want younger what? Younger widows to what? Get married and what? Bear children. Why does he want them to get married and bear children? So they won't what? Fall away. Are you with me? That's when the lights went on. I wasn't even on the subject. I was just reading this verse. And the word bear children is what hit me. Because in 1 Timothy 2.15, 2, right? When we saved through childbearing. Now Satan had just, before, before that, mentioned Satan deceiving Eve. If Satan was chasing little Johnny around, right? Or little Cain and little Abel around, she didn't have time to talk to the serpent at the tree and have a dialogue with the devil. She's too busy. I'm sorry, I gotta take care of my kids. She went to fallen. Are, are you with me? This to me is so powerful because Satan is active. He's his roaring lion right now trying to get women out of their roles. Are you following what I'm saying? It's a big part of the sexual revolution. It's a big part of spiritual warfare in the days in which we live. Therefore, in other words, with the younger widows, I want younger widows to get married, bear children. Now, it's interesting, this term, bear children. It's uh, the Greek word, uh, technagonein. Technos is, or technos is a child. Technos ganein is bearing children. It's not just technos, child. It's technos ganein, which is a compound of bearing and child together. Why is that important? Because that word, technagonein, that compound word is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. Guess where it's used? Now, we're looking at right now in 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, right? Look at 1 Timothy 5, uh, 14. Therefore, I want women to uh, get married and bear children and keep house and bear children. There it is. Bear children is two words in our English, but it's only one word in the Greek. It's a compound word. Technogonin. Why is that important? This is what floored me. I'm like, oh, that's technogonin, which is very interesting because in 1 Timothy 2, 15, it's the only other place that's used in the whole New Testament. And it's technagonias. Technagonias is basically just a different stem of the same word. It's different, you know, uh, same word though. So the same word's used twice. So when Paul earlier says women will be saved through childbearing, right? What does that mean? You go forward a little bit and he's talking about women falling away, younger widows, having them get married and have children, bear children. Same Greek word so they don't fall into, into Satan's trap. Well, it doesn't say anything about Satan here, Joe, like he's gonna fall in the Satan's trap, like 1 Timothy 2 seems to indicate. Yeah, it does, keep reading. Therefore, I, verse 14, therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house. So by the way, bearing children, it's not the act of having a child that saves you, amen? Jesus saves us by his blood, right? But bearing children is like shorthand. Okay, it's like shorthand for raising kids, for managing your household, to living for God and fulfilling your role in motherhood. Okay, do you understand that? So as you're fulfilling your role as a mother, it keeps you on the role that God has gifted you with to be the blessing, the ultimate blessing he wants you to be. 
Because look what he says. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside to what? Follow Satan. Wow. That means the women that are gossiping and going house to house and being busybodies and, and just operating in, in malice or anger or unforgiveness or jealousy and just not walking in the spirit are going to be tools of the enemy and they don't even know it. They might go to church every Sunday, but they may be tearing people down and not sharing the gospel, not praying for each other, not encouraging people and so forth. And uh, therefore, they're not fulfilling the role God's given them. Now, when you go back to 1 Timothy 2.15, you don't have to, but it says women will be saved through what? Childbearing. What's Paul talking about in 1 Timothy 2, or chapter 5, guys? How are women saved from following Satan? How are they saved from following Satan and becoming busybodies? How are they saved here? By what? Childbearing. Saying the same thing. He's just expanding on what he already said. Are you with me? I'm laboring to get you to understand this because it can be, not so you just understand the truth, but the truth sets us free in so many ways. And it sets us free from Satan's lies who dangles a carrot and says, you know what? Do your own thing. Be your own God, like you said to Eve. Abort that child. That child's just going to keep you from being all that you can be. <sighs> That's murder. Or neglect your children, you know? Spend more time on social media and express who you are. Let the world who see you who you are. In fact, you might even be a man. No, I'm not kidding. That's going on millions of times over. Those kinds of things are being whispered in both sexes' ears, trying to get us to divert, be diverted from our roles. Do you see how important this is? Now, by the way, <laughs> another really interesting parallel here is when he says in verse 14, therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, to what? Keep house. Some translations manage the house. Okay. Uh, the, in Titus chapter 2, it talks about women managing their houses and so forth as well. To manage their houses or, and, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. He's talking about uh, them being adorned with good works, you know, doing wonderful things to the Lord. That that should be what you're dressed in. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at what he says in verse 10. Verse 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 2, likewise, I want women, verse 9, to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments, but rather by means of what? How should they be dressing? By means of what? Good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Same thing, there's another parallel there I'm saying. The emphasis is, is living for the Lord. Can you imagine if every woman was living the role that God's called her to, and every man was living the role that God called him to? There wouldn't be any killings of babies. There wouldn't be all these latchkey kids. There wouldn't be all this crime and everything else. But obviously, not everybody walks the straight and narrow road. Now, it's interesting because uh, this is what blows me away too. Timothy mentions two women by name that are related to, I should say, Paul mentions two women by name that are related to Timothy. Do you remember what their names are? Lois and who? and Eunice. Paul mentions Timothy's mother and grandmother. Why? This is important. Go to, go, go to 2 Timothy 3.15. He says to Timothy, whose dad was not a Christian, he was a Greek non-believer. 
How did Timothy become a man of God? Well, Paul was discipling him, Joe. Nah, before Paul got a hold of him, guess who was discipling him, man? Mama and grandma. Huge roles in making warriors for God. And Satan hates that. Because women speak into the child's life in such a powerful, powerful way. And we read in verse 15 that Paul says to Timothy, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That just blows me away. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. Same book, 2 Timothy, not first. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So they fulfilled their roles. By the way, grandmothers, they'll say, yeah, my duty's done. I, could, I, I just can spoil the kid, give back to my, my kids, you know, and I don't have any more work. No, that's not what God calls you to do. I mean, spoil them, but don't hurt them. You know, kid doesn't want them to eat sweets. Don't give them sweets. We know that deal because we've got grandkids and we just try to be very by the book, you know. Uh, but what I'm saying is, as grandparents, you still get to speak in their lives and have a great, great effect on them by way of application. Be a grandmother or grandfather if you have grandchildren that is a light and encourages your, your grandchildren in Christ. But as a mother, okay, Lois, right, as grandmother, Eunice as mother, was bringing Timothy up in Christ as a little guy. Then when Paul took him because he was already sculpted to a degree by his grandmother and his mother. Sisters, you have such a critical, pivotal role in the lives of your children. And Satan hates that. So he's going to try to draw you out. How do you apply this to your life? Well, first of all, you stick your foot in the ground for that line of demarcation and say, I'm not going to cross that by the grace of God. Amen. I'm not going to go outside of the role that God has given me as a gifted woman of God. I'm not going to go for the carrot that says, I am woman, hear me roar and be my own God. Don't get caught up in all the social media and all the temptation and all the seduction out there trying to say, if you're really hip, this is who you're going to be and you're going to have to, you know, I'm not saying you can't use social media, but guess what? If you're on social media, it shouldn't be looking up old boyfriends and seeing what they look like or girlfriends if you're a guy, amen? It should be as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Are you with me? Just being real with you guys. So there's a lot of ways, a lot of things that we need to consider. Because you see, Paul is concerned about protecting your marriage from Satan. Protecting your role as your, and your witness from Satan. We know that because you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a guy who steps out of his role as a young man. He's having sexual relations, it says, with his father's wife. Paul says, not even the Gentiles are doing this. Kick this guy out of the church, he says. Had him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved to the day of salvation. Then in the next chapter, chapter 6, he warns, don't be deceived, neither fornicators or adulterers, homosexuals, effeminate, and drunkards, and all kinds of people won't inherit God's kingdom. He says, don't be deceived on this issue. And then he warns this way, and this is very important to understand. In the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. He says, Don't join yourself, therefore, with a prostitute. Because what was happening in Corinth, there are people going to the Corinthian church saying, Oh, I go to the church of Corinth. And they're going and sleeping with the prostitutes at the temple, uh, at the temple shrines. 
and they're sleeping with him. Paul says, you cannot join. If you join yourself with a prostitute, you're bringing the Holy Spirit into an, a situation and making the Holy Spirit go through a situation that's quite wicked is what he talks about. Pretty heavy. You know what he goes on to say in chapter 7 though? How, Paul, can you help them escape the men now in this case? Well, he says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. You can turn there if you want. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. And each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. Some of sexual intercourse, being together physically, sexually. Verse, not, not saying it's always be intercourse, but together with his husband and wife. Verse, verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does, meaning you belong to each other. Verse 5, stop depriving one another, except by agreement, except by what? Agreement for a time. So that, now look at this, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that what? Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Wow. What's he saying? Husband and wife, make sure you're spending time together. Make sure there's intimacy between you to one degree or another. I encourage husbands and wives to, in marriage counseling, if they're having trouble in their, in their sex life with one another, that they should be first and foremost laying their own lives down, loving each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other, caring for each other, and having compassion on each other, but also communicating about your sex life between your husband and your wife. It should be something that you guys talk about, so it's not a strain as to when you'd be together. Okay, it's a lot easier for men, typically, I'm not saying all the time, but to be together with the woman than it is sometimes for the woman to be with a man. So the husband has to dwell with his wife in an understanding way. It says that as a weaker vessel, also considering her, her needs and her temperament and where she's at, but the wife also needs to consider the, the husband and that he has a sexual drive as well, and you need to come together and, and come to a peace to where you're together, you're not depriving each other, lest Satan tempt you. See how God wants us to fulfill our roles? Otherwise, we play into the hands of the devil. Are you with me? It's very, very important stuff we're talking about tonight. So make sure you recognize this is spiritual warfare that we are in and that it's important that we fulfill our roles and that we apply, our, apply these things to our lives. So you must accept God's, accept, you must accept his establishedly, his divinely established boundaries, okay? Here's the boundaries he has. He set up and not go beyond these boundaries. It's so important. And you have to have spiritual value. Where God puts value, that's where we need to put value. We're called not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So when God says, this is the role, this is the role, right, of a man and a woman in a married uh, relationship and so forth. Now, it's also important, I think, to understand, not only have we just talked about it, but that you realize that you are in a spiritual war regarding your role. So it's not something you should say, well, I'm a woman or I'm a man and I'm just going to try to go with what I'm supposed to be. Don't just try. You need to pray, God. Pray to the Lord. Lord, help me fulfill my role. Help me be the man of God God's called me to be. I pray that all the time. All the time. Father, help me be the man that you want me to be toward my wife, the husband to my wife. Help me to be the father you want me to be to my children. I still pray for all my children one by one. I pray for all my grandchildren to be a great grandfather to them. I, I fall short. That's why I need to pray because I want to be the best man of God I could be to them, you know? And help me fulfill my role. Help me help my wife and my daughters fulfill their roles in Christ. And, and being actively involved in praying for them 
and praying for your children and your grandchildren. That's part of being a Christian, you know, but also being an example, amen, to them as well and fulfilling our calling. And sisters, I have to say a word because it's, uh, and I mentioned it already two or three times, but it's like, well, what if I can't have children? What if I'm single? What if God's called me to singleness or I'm married but I can't have a baby? God looks at your heart, amen? And Paul was single. Was Paul less significant? No, he wrote about half the New Testament. He was more significant than anybody else using the New Testament times besides Jesus himself, it seems, amen? Jesus was single, amen? In marriage, there will, in heaven, there won't be any marriage, amen? So it's not marriage isn't what makes you significant. The fact that you're created in God's image, amen? And that you're gonna be with him forever makes you significant. One marriage makes you incredibly significant, though, so I must tailor my words a little bit. That's our marriage to Christ, amen? The Bible says he's the groom and we're his bride, amen? So any, every Christian is married to Christ, amen? And, I, and praise God, I don't devalue our relationships as husbands and wives that are married, but the, the relationship that takes highest precedence is our relationship with Christ, amen? And guess what? You can bear children if you're single spiritually to the Lord, amen? How? Paul over and over again talks about those who he led to Christ being his children in the faith, amen? The scriptures talk about how we bring up spiritual children. So if you, the Bible wants us to be active in 1 Timothy 3.15 in the household of God, the church, amen? We're all called a family. That's, that's the most important family is the eternal family of God. Our sub-families are families within the bigger family, which is the church. So we should all be active in sharing the gospel, shining the light of Christ the lost, amen? and bringing up spiritual children, even if we don't have any physical children, by being an example, like Paul said, save them through your example, your life, and through your teaching. Single women, you can be involved wonderfully. I know a bunch of single women that love kids, and they're in their lives, and they're encouraging them in Jesus, and, and they're loved. The kids love, when they see a single mother that, or a single woman who loves Jesus, there are such lights to them. There's such encouragements to them. You can be involved in teaching Bible studies. In fact, also the scriptures speak of mature Christian women. They're instructed in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Encourage the older or more mature women. Encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. I love that. And husbands, you're called, the, I know we're not talking about husbands today because we're on the women's verse. Next, next time, we'll be on the men for a little bit too, girls. <laughs> But this is cool because it's like, oh, good, they're going to get no. Praise God. You want to hear about your role, amen? That's the point. This is juicy, beautiful, wonderful stuff because it shows you exactly what the Lord's called you to unless he's giving you the gift of singleness, which Paul says is very much, is better. He actually says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because ultimately you're married to Christ, as I mentioned. So let's finish up. It'll take one minute to finish up. Go back to chapter 3. We're back to chapter 2, verse 15. But women will be preserved through or saved, sozo, through the bearing of children, if they what? Now it doesn't say, okay, praise God, I had two children, I'm saved, I don't have final salvation, I won't ever fall away because I had kids. No, wrong. That's a good start if you're called to motherhood. But it goes on to say what? There's a conditional clause, it's conditional. If they continue in what? Faith. Because we're initially, we're justified by grace through faith. We were already saved, Amen. And we're, our final salvation is by grace through faith, just like our initial salvation. 
bearing children and walking with God, that helps you continue in the faith, that's all. If they continue in faith and love, walk in love. Don't walk as a gossip, don't walk as a... Per- if you hear somebody gossiping to you, trying to poison you toward other people, just cast that down in the name of Jesus and, and lovingly tell that person, hey, I don't want to hear that, man. You need to go talk to that person. Now, if they're to, coming to you for really sincere advice, you know, and you can pray for them, that's great. But, you know, you know when somebody's like just has an angst or something, a lot of times, just say no and make sure we're not doing that, amen? Make sure we're walking not only in faith, but in love and sanctity. That means holiness, hagias. That means separate from that which is evil, consecrated to God with self-restraint. Remember the younger widows weren't having self-restraint, right? Busy bodies, gossips, doing whatever they please. They want to side after Satan. You can't just have children. We know there's plenty of women who have children who don't take care of their children and care for their children at all, amen? They don't have love toward them, amen? We need to make sure we also continue to grow in Christ and seek him, hence why we're here today, amen? So are we gonna apply this to our lives? Not let Satan take us out of the roles he's called us to, whether you're called to be single or you're called to be married or whether you're single right now and to be married sometime in the future, you just continue in faith, right? Continue in sanctity, continue in love, Continue in self-restraint no matter who you are, male or female, continue in all those things, amen? And then guess what? As we continue in the faith, we'll hear that final call and that final praise. It says you'll have praise of God. Really? Praise of God? Yeah, it says you'll have praise of God in First Peter when he comes and you'll hear, Jesus said it, you'll hear well done, good and faithful servant, amen? Let's be faithful to the end, amen? Do you see why that's such an awesome verse? We covered a lot of different viewpoints, you know? Uh, but... I hope you understood it. Did that make sense? Be honest, did it make sense? Do you see God's wisdom? His wisdom is so powerful. Can you see how the world really needs this right now? Can you know other believers that you can probably help out with this sometime in the future? Hey, Diane, Shirley. I start to say names. I'm like, oh, there's people. I gotta, one time, I'm not kidding you guys. I said, I said, what if I said so-and-so was just a liar? And I just, Took a name out of the hat that I knew nobody was in the church named that, I thought. I said, and she said, and she was just telling other, she's just a big liar. And I just went on my message. I had a lady come up to me afterwards saying, she's crying. She goes, I'm not a liar. Well, this was like two months ago. I was like, some of you know who. I was like, what do you mean? I didn't even get it. I didn't even realize I used that person's name because she was newer. She's crying, I'm not a liar. I felt so, and later I'm like, oh, I felt so bad. I had a hard time sleeping. And I was like, oh, poor girl. And I told her, no, I wasn't thinking of you at all. Because she happened to be in a situation too. It's a long story. <laughs> anyway, God is good, amen? So I love you guys. And uh, by the way, if you talk to Diane, Diane's an awesome gal over there. <laughs> she loves Jesus. I didn't use Diane's name in a negative way. But if you talk to Diane, she'll encourage you to follow Jesus. But I love you guys, and praise God for his word, amen. Are we having a good time going through Timothy? So if someone goes to you and says to you later, hey, this is a weird verse. What, is, what do you think it means? We'll be saved through childbearing. Just say, hey, it means if you do what God's called you to do, you'll continue in your role, and it'll be hard for Satan to deceive you for falling away from who he's called you to be, amen? And you'll bear fruit in your life, and you'll be blessed in the end. In a nutshell, Amen. If you want to give more details, do so. If you want to give me more details, give, give them our tape. Okay. Can we all stand up?